0: Here at Doxito Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. As of April 2020, more than two and a half million people have been infected by the novel coronavirus called COVID-19 and close to 180,000 people have died. In fact, I don't think the global community has fully grasped the impact of this pandemic. So on April 14th, the International Monetary Fund readjusted their growth projections, saying that we are about to be plunged into the worst recession since the Great Depression of the 1920s and 30s, with joblessness at all-time highs and all major global sectors in lockdown. And of course, locally here in South Africa, many economists fear that this pandemic can wipe out our economy. You see, this coronavirus pandemic, it stirs up something on the inside for each and every one of us. We might phrase it in different words, we might call it different things, but it's there. It's growing and it grips us. You see, the word corona means crown and is coined by the scientists who discovered it in 1968, saying that it resembles this crown-like figure under the microscope it's almost as if in the season, this one crown is dominating our emotions, our anxieties, our fears, our thoughts about the future and of hope. And so what we want to do in these four sessions, instead of trying to give you pet little answers, simplistic little thoughts to try and quickly solve this, I don't think that'll do justice to anyone suffering in this moment. Instead, what I want to do, what we want to do as Christians, as a Christian pastor, I want to admit the fact that this is incredibly difficult. It raises incredibly difficult issues, existentially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and it's difficult to deal with. And so what we want to do instead is we want to honestly and openly wrestle with these issues and invite you along for the journey. You see, maybe like me, you are wrestling with issues at the moment, like pain and suffering and the meaning of life. Maybe you are wrestling with issues of faith. If there is a God, where is He in all of this? Is He good? Is He in control? Maybe you're asking questions about where we can find hope and purpose in a moment where the rug has been pulled out from under us. Or maybe you are wondering what faith or religion can do in a moment like this. And so I want to invite you along for this journey where we say, let's wrestle with these issues and let's try and find some meaning and purpose in it. And I want to say that along the ride, we are going to look at different viewpoints and worldviews or how they interact with these issues. Of course, we can't cover them exhaustively, but I hope we can do so fairly. And so in this next season, can I just ask of you, that which I ask of my own heart, to simply be open and honest, be vulnerable. And who knows, maybe all of us can discover horizons that we never thought possible. So in this first session, often when suffering and death occurs on a global scale, it's as everything comes to a standstill. So think of the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami or the 2010 Haiti earthquake where more than 300,000 people were killed instantly. These moments, it's when the whole world comes to a standstill, takes note, and the global response is one of intense grief and suffering. But the thing is, statistics are deceiving because these history-level events don't actually move the needle much in terms of the global rate of suffering each year. Think about it this way, if you were to spend most of tomorrow binge watching your favorite Netflix series, in the time that it would take you to do so, more than a hundred children would die violently. And that's what one pocket of suffering globally, every single hour, thousands of people die of cancer or from car accidents. And every single day, tens of thousands of people die in unexpected tragedies. This is equal to the population of a small city getting wiped off the face of the earth every single day. And the majority of these don't trigger any kind of headline on any website or in any newspaper. Why? The reason is because we know that suffering and death is the norm. It's part of our everyday life. But the thing is, very often we can move these things away to the periphery of our life. We can say that they don't affect us because in certain seasons, suffering is not coming into our sphere. Or we can keep it distant. When we hear of a tragedy, uh, maybe friends or family or in the newspaper, our mind goes into the self-defense mode and it says, well, that's not me. That's somewhere over there. It's happening to other people. When this coronavirus pandemic at its early beginnings in South Africa. That's how I felt. It was was far away. It was distant. And then one evening, my wife and I, we got word that the anesthesiologist who was part of the medical team who had operated on our youngest daughter, Mia, that he not only contracted this coronavirus, but that he tragically died from it. I was shocked. This moment, it felt like all of this suffering, this death, it just took one step closer into my life. That evening I slept so badly. You see that's what suffering does. It reminds us that it doesn't matter how well we plan or how well we work to put a life together for us, how well we work at our health or at our careers or on wealth. We know that it's inevitable that something, death or suffering is going to come along and ruin it. There's no amount of planning There's no amount of money or influence or authority that can completely keep it at bay. We know this intuitively. Suffering is the reality for all of us. So the true question is, how then do we wrestle with, how do we make sense of suffering? How can we and where do we find resources internally to lean on in seasons of suffering? Now, different cultures and people groups from around the world have all throughout the ages tried to make sense of and grapple with suffering. So the cultural anthropologist at Harvard University, Richard Schrader, he teaches that a central part of almost every major philosophical or religious idea and framework has at its very center this thrust to teach people how to encounter and deal with suffering. So he gives a couple of examples. You can group all these different worldviews and religions and philosophies into four major categories. The first is the moral view that suffering is the result of people not living rightly. Karma which is taught in Hinduism is almost an extreme form of this worldview where when people die it's taught that they are reincarnated back into life constantly. But every time your soul carries over the deeds and the misdeeds from your past So if you are suffering in the season, it's because of your mistakes in a previous life. And many other people outside of the Hindu faith, they would simply live with something of a what goes around, comes around mindset. But secondly, there's the self-transcendent view. In Buddhism, it teaches that suffering comes from unfulfilled desires. And what we need to do is we need to detach from these desires so that they would dissolve in a sense. So suffering is an illusion. And we need to detach from it. Thirdly, there is the fatalistic view. And in this view, we see that the the course of your life is set in stone by the gods or the stars or by some uh, deity. So, for instance, in Islam, the course of your life is set by the unscrutable will of Allah. And so we are told then to simply endure and accept the cards that have been dealt to us. And then finally, the the final view is the dualistic one where no one is in complete control, but in fact, life is governed by this constant battle between the forces of good and evil. And suffering comes from the fact that we are caught in the crossfire between these two different worlds. So it's clear that people from All groups and times and backgrounds and cultures over all the ages up to today have tried to make sense of suffering in some way. But here's the really interesting thing. Schrader goes on to say that all these people have been trying to make sense of it, but today in the secular mindset, in the humanistic or the materialist worldview where there is nothing more than what we have here, there is no transcendent Playing. There is no spirituality or God or the gods. He says what we find is because of that, people have no way of wrestling with, of encountering and dealing with suffering. So the reason is simple. If the universe has no purpose, no intent, no design, then of course life like the universe is Meaningless. Suffering is simply an accident that's bound to happen. It is what it is. In a moment, I think of just brutal honesty with regard to the secular worldview. The famous atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins, in his book A River Out of Eden, he says In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason. In it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. You see, in Dawkins's view, the reason why people in the modern age with a secular worldview so struggle with suffering is because they won't accept the fact that life, like the universe, is meaningless. In his words, life is empty, pointless, futile. It's a desert of meaninglessness. In short, suffering is meaningless. But of course, he goes on to say, and he makes the secular case, that yes, life is meaningless like the universe, but that means that we can make life as wonderful as we choose it to be. So we can create for ourselves meaning. We can be the architects of our own meaning in this life. The challenge, of course, with this, if, if we have to find meaning and purpose within the confines, the playing field of this life only, there's nothing more, it means two very, very difficult issues are raised. And this is where Schrader says the, the secular worldview so departs from all others. Number one, it says that if purpose and meaning can only be found in this life, it means that you will have to find purpose and meaning in, let's say, material goods, for instance, a house or a spouse, or you will have to find it in ways and means of living like joy or happiness or comfort. But we know as much as you pursue those things, it's a fact already, like we said, That it's only a matter of time before death or suffering comes to maybe block or fully destroy those things, ruin those things in our life. If the purpose of life is personal freedom and pursuing joy and self-fulfillment, then yes, suffering is incredibly traumatic. And secondly, we have to understand that if we say in a secular worldview To say that life has no meaning, it doesn't mean that you cannot have a job, a good job. It doesn't mean that you cannot have a family or friends. It doesn't mean that you cannot have the means to secure for yourself a comfortable living. But what it does mean is there will come these moments in your life, very often sometimes, or in massive moments of crisis where you ask yourself, but what is the point of all this working and pursuing and doing? If all of it is meaningless, if all of it comes to nothing, what is the point? So even the famous staunch atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, he argues that in the secular worldview, all human labor and love and genius are destined to extinction and the vast death of the solar system. And he says that leads to this internal reality that he calls the unyielding despair of the soul. If life is meaningless and even the meaning that I can create for myself is ultimately meaningless. That's a very difficult pill to have to swallow. So all of this results then today, Schrader says, in the fact that men and women with a secular worldview are undone and broken to an extent that no one else in history has. We cannot deal with suffering. So what then about the Christian worldview? How does it interact with these issues? And and is it different in any way? I love how the German philosopher Max Scheler, in his famous article, The Meaning of Suffering, he points to the uniqueness of the Christian narrative. And he writes this, he says, The Christian teaching on suffering seems a complete reversal of attitude when it comes to all these other philosophies and worldviews and religions. A complete reversal of attitude. So, for instance, he says, Unlike the moral view, such as karma, Christian teaching fully acknowledges that suffering is often unjust and disproportionate. It is often our life and our day-to-day, it is often broken and full of pain. It is often true that people who live well do not do well. Unlike the self-transcendent view, such as in Buddhism, Christians believe that suffering is real, it's not an illusion, and we should acknowledge it for what it is. Unlike the fatalistic worldview, such as in Islam or other shame and honor cultures where we have to stoically just endure suffering, the Christian Bible not only allows but encourages us to voice and and give expression to our grief and suffering through cries and questions. And unlike the dualistic worldview, Christian teaching is not leading us to escape a world that's being ravaged by this battle between good and evil, but instead says that the human heart is ravaged by good and evil and it needs gracious healing. And then finally, of course, how about the secular view? And unlike the secular view where life and the universe and of course then suffering is meaningless, Christianity says that suffering can be deeply meaningful. It can have incredible purpose. And if faced rightly, it can actually drive us deeper like a nail into the love of God. But why? Why is Christianity able to do this? And the answer is as simple as it is profound. Instead of giving us a framework or a teaching or an abstract thought, what we find in Christianity is God coming in a person called Jesus of Nazareth and suffering on a cross. Listen to how Shaila puts it. He says, the entire Christian faith is centered on the idea of the innocent man who freely receives suffering for others' debts. In fact, the two most incredible thoughts are brought together in this man, Jesus Christ. Firstly, that he claimed that he was God come to this earth. And secondly, maybe our conception of that would be that God would come as a warlord or as a king who would rule with an iron fist. And yet we see here that Jesus comes to suffer like us, to step into our suffering, to suffer alongside us and for us to deal with Suffering, instead of an abstract idea, Jesus is the embodiment of our suffering. Unlike all the other religious figures in history, who would simply give schematics or teachings or philosophies, Jesus comes to embody the issue that we wrestle with and deal with suffering in our reality. Suffering was a central theme at the very, very heart of the life and teaching of Jesus. So firstly, we see that Jesus fought against suffering. The word that's used most often when people come to Jesus in his ministry is the word suffering. Jesus, will you heal my son? Will you heal my servant? Will you heal my wife? Will you heal this person? Why? Because they are suffering. And then we see, in fact, that Jesus, if you looked at the picking order of the ancient Near East, people who were right at the bottom, the lame and the mute, the lepers, even women who were so lowly regarded, Jesus goes out of his way to heal them, to bring healing to their suffering. In fact, one of the books in the Bible, it's a it's a first-hand account of the life of Jesus called the book of John. It records this moment where one of the friends of Jesus dies, he passes away. And when the news reaches Jesus, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Jesus knew suffering. And then, of course, when he actually comes to the place where he sees this friend of his who had passed away, we get the shortest verse in the whole Bible that simply says Jesus wept. He knew suffering. But more than that, Jesus came to suffer for us. He experienced deep suffering. An older book in the Bible is called Isaiah and it points forward to Jesus many hundreds of years before his life. And it says that he would be a person who would be deeply despised and rejected by men. He would be a man of suffering, it says. Can you imagine that? That God come to this world, the transcendent God coming into the human world in human form would be called a man of suffering in all the other religions God or the gods are aloof they are far away they don't mind the affairs and the pain of humankind but in Christianity in Jesus we see God stepping into our pain and suffering stepping in alongside us suffering with us and for us empathizing with us in fact one of these other first-hand accounts of the life of Jesus is called the book of Mark And in it, we see a moment where Jesus, the night before he is about to die, he's praying in a garden called Gethsemane. And he says this, he says, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Jesus suffered. But it also says that Christ suffered unjustly. He suffered for us. So one of these men who journeyed with Jesus called Peter, he writes in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ also suffered for sins once And for all, for wrongdoing, that the righteous suffered for the unrighteous and that he might bring you to God. You know, most of my life, I had no interest in Jesus or religion or faith. But Peter here says that even in that moment, God came in Jesus and suffered for me to bring me to him. I love this moment where the celebrated historian and atheist Robert Wright, he wrestles with this idea. It kept him up at night. And he says throughout history, gods have been beings to whom you made sacrifices. Now, here was a God that not only demanded no ritual sacrifices from you, but himself made sacrifices. Indeed, the ultimate sacrifice for you. And finally, Christ. He promised that in the work that he came to do, he would deal with suffering finally. So the very last book of the Bible is this book called Revelation. And it uses poetic language to speak about the end of human history. And in it, Jesus says, at the end, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The death and grief and crying and pain will be no more. In his suffering, he is dealing with and will finally deal with suffering. So if we come back to our two questions, what is the meaning of life and how do we, how do we wrestle with and encounter and deal with suffering? Then we see from the Christian perspective that the meaning of life, different maybe from secularism, where we say that the universe and life and suffering has no meaning, we find that God in himself is joy and life and purpose and identity. And to be connected to him is to give us a kind of meaning that no amount of suffering can ever take away from us. And how do we deal with suffering? Instead of Jesus coming to give us simply an abstract teaching or a philosophy that we can apply and follow, He comes to embody the very issue that we wrestle with. He comes to step into our suffering, suffering on our behalf and dealing with our suffering. Can I ask you, in this season, in this coronavirus pandemic where suffering and pain is such a reality, could we, just for a moment, consider the idea that in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, we can actually take a step closer to God, not in spite of our suffering, but in our suffering. That's why the Philosopher and mathematician from Oxford, John Lennox, he wrestles with this idea of faith in the coronavirus. And he says this, he says, Therefore, a Christian is not so much a person who has solved the problem of pain, suffering, and the coronavirus, but one who has come to love and trust a God who has himself suffered. In closing, many years ago, the famous broadcaster Larry King was asked if he could interview one person in the full scope of human history, who would it be? And without missing a beat, he said, Jesus Christ. The follow-up question was, well, if you could ask him one question, what would it be? And again, without batting an eyelid, he said, I would ask him if he was really born of a virgin. And he said, the reason is because if that's true, it changes everything. You see, Larry King asks that question because he understands If Jesus really was who he said he was, if he was God, come to this earth to suffer for us, it changes everything. The identity of this man, Jesus, is the question of all of our lives. It's the question that all other questions orbit around. That this man who wore the other crown, the crown of thorns, the crown of suffering, would come and suffer for us You see, all other religions and philosophies and teachers and wise men and politicians and leaders of movements, they they all came to give us something of a way, something of the truth that we can learn or something of a type of life that we can apply. But Jesus stands alone in human history when he says, as recorded by the eyewitness John, I am the way, the truth and the life. Could I invite us in this season to consider in this coronavirus pandemic with its suffering that maybe we can discover in this man Jesus something of that way, that truth, and that life? So, can I ask you to join us for our next session, session number two, when we're going to look at the nature of God? If God does exist, is he good? Is he in control? Can we find him in this difficult season? I hope to see you there.